I'm Amber Tresca, and this is About IBD. It's my mission to educate people living with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. Welcome to episode 116. About IBD is excited to be partnering on this new limited podcast series, How to Be Happy and Healthy with IBD. A quick reminder, the About IBD podcast is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or its treatment. IBD affects the whole person. We use a shorthand to talk about it by saying that it causes inflammation in the digestive tract, but really it affects our bodies, our emotions, our families, our work, and our social lives. To discuss the tools and solutions for addressing the psychosocial impact of IBD, I talked to Dr. Jessica Naftali, a GI Behavioral Health Fellow at the University of Michigan, and Amy Bogwadia, Higher Education Coordinator for Generation Patient, Teaching Assistant at Stanford University School of Medicine, ulcerative colitis patient, and key opinion leader in the IBD community. We talked through the many issues that IBD can cause outside of the gut, and Dr. Naftali and Amy provide plenty of tools and ideas to address them. Our topic today is the psychosocial impact of IBD. And what we mean by psychosocial impact is the effect that IBD has on our mental health, our emotions, and our social connections. I have two guests with me today to dig into this topic. With me is Dr. Jessica Naftali, a gastrointestinal behavioral health postdoctoral fellow at the University of Michigan. Dr. Naftali, thank you so much for coming on about IBD. Would you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Thank you, Amber, for having me. I'm excited to be here today with you and Amy. Like you said, I am Dr. Jessica Naftali. I'm the GI Behavioral Health Fellow at Michigan Medicine. As the GI Behavioral Health Fellow, I am soon to be licensed, but not currently yet licensed. And I work under the supervision of Dr. Megan Reel. As part of the Integrated Behavioral Health Team at Michigan Medicine, I work with patients with a variety of GI conditions, including inflammatory bowel disease, but also work with patients with IBS and functional chest pain, gastroparesis, and excited to be here today. I love the work that I do and excited to talk about IBD and mental health. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really looking forward to your perspective on this topic. Also with me is Amy Bogwadia. Higher Education Coordinator for Generation Patient, Teaching Assistant at Stanford University School of Medicine, and Ulcerative Colitis Patient. Amy, I know you have a lot to say about this topic, so thanks for being here. Would you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yes, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited um, to chat with you and Dr. Naftali more on this topic. As Amber mentioned, my name is Amy, my pronouns are she, her, and I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis at the age of 10. Um, so in the midst of fifth grade. Um, so definitely I've been through <laughs> all of a lot, most of my life now um, living with IBD. Um, so that's definitely come with its challenges through high school and college and graduate school. Um, and now as I kind of embark on my medical school journey in the fall as well, um, I think mental health has definitely been something a lot on my mind as I kind of figure out what it means to live healthy with IBD, not just with my gut, um, but also just like how I exist as a, as a person and as a future clinician as well. Thank you so much for bringing the patient experience to this topic, especially because you wear so many hats in the IBD community. So I'm going to start with you, Dr. Naftali, because we tend to focus on the digestive system when we talk about IBD, but it affects the whole person, as the three of us here are well aware. 
What are some of the ways that IBD can affect people outside of the gut? Yeah, we know that IBD can be a huge adjustment for for patients and can impact one's quality of life. We know that, um, especially when getting diagnosed for the first time, there's that adjustment period, taking medications that they might not have had to take before, learning to deal with health insurance, attend multiple doctor's appointments, and just generally how one's life can change when being diagnosed with a chronic health condition can be really overwhelming. And so we know that anxiety, depression, low mood doesn't necessarily cause IBD, but we do know that the illness itself can be overwhelming and hard to to manage and deal with. And some of that might come with some anxiety and depression and low mood. So in addition to IBD impacting anxiety, depression, we also know that IBD can impact sleep. A lot of my patients are coming in fatigued. Sometimes we also see concerns related to body image, intimacy, sexual functioning. And also because IBD and food are often kind of involved with each other, we see some eating concerns too as well. Mm -hmm. Amy, you've been living with ulcerative colitis for most of your life, really. And so you're probably pretty practiced by now at telling people about it or describing it. So how do you go about that? And what are some of the responses that you've had? I'm thinking back to last week, I was actually um, at a wedding of a few of my high school friends. And so I was meeting a bunch of new people and I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, like, I don't know how IBD is obviously such a big part of my life. Um, And so I I just want to recognize off the bat, yes, there's so much, I think, like stigma and fear around like how to, uh, you know, broach the topic. Mm -hmm. I was kind of talking to a few of my friends from high school, catching up with them. They were saying, hey, what have you been up to? And I was sharing with them, oh, right now I'm doing some really exciting higher education work at Generation Patient. And we are run for and by young adults with chronic medical conditions. And I kind of like, you know, moved on a little bit. And the person I was talking to was like, wait, all of you have chronic medical conditions? I was like, I'm glad you asked. Yes. Have you heard of, you know, Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis? I live with colitis. Um, It's an immune mediated condition, mostly manifests in my GI tract, but it's not just a bathroom disease. And I always make sure I say that last part, it's not just a bathroom (laughs) disease. For me, my IBD manifests not just in my gut, but also Mm -hmm. like in my joints, I have IBD related arthritis. And that's like a big part, I think of my awareness and explaining to folks like it's not just this thing like, oh, she needs to use the bathroom a lot. Um, It's a lot more complex than that. And I think for me, given the fact that it is tied into the work that I do and who I am as a person, it's a little easier to like weave that into the conversation. And I like doing that a little bit earlier um, rather than later. That way, when I mention a few things, um, you know, oh, hey, you know, I'm not drinking. People understand like, okay, like it's medical related or like, hey, I'll be right back. I just need to like, take a few meds, people are like, cool, no worries. Like, we'll wait, here's some water, etc. Um, so I think it just makes it a more comfortable atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Does it happen often that during a discussion of the work that you do, it turns into your disclosing your medical conditions that you live with, and then an educational opportunity to let people know what it is like to live with a chronic condition? 
I definitely, I would say I'm the one who's intentional about being like, we help patients just like me. Um, um, So for me, I kind of just like mention it. And then if people, I feel like, because I set the tone, right? If I Mm -hmm. say it in hushed tones, like I have this terrible thing called Mm -hmm. IBD Mm -hmm. and then just move on, um, people get really uncomfortable. But I guess me giving off the vibe, like, hey, I have this thing, the end. Um, People are more like, if they want to ask questions, they can, I'm open about it. And I am not perpetuating, I guess, the like, stigma surrounding it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think people are definitely always very shocked, though. They're like, what? But you don't look sick. Um, And I'm like, yes. And what about it? Like, I could be like this one minute. And the next minute, not so great. And that's okay, too. That's just a part of me and kind of how my body works. (laughs) We Mm -hmm. all have different embodiments and this just happens to be mine. Yeah, that brings me to my next topic about the new normal. And we were talking a little bit about the process of being overwhelmed by a new diagnosis and that we have to come around to our new normal in some kind of way. And how can we help people get through this transition as they go from what seems like one day you are yourself you are disease free. And then suddenly you've got this big diagnosis and you're trying to figure out how to incorporate it into your life. Yeah, I think that's a really important topic. Change and transition is really hard. No matter what, if it's for a chronic health condition or just life in general, change is hard. Mm -hmm. And I encourage patients to really give themselves time and space and just kind of let whatever is going to happen and emotions come up to come up and really normalizing that experience. There's also different emotions that people have when they're getting diagnosed with a chronic health condition like IBD. Some people feel relieved, right? They have answers for the first time. Um, There's a plan, there's a treatment, they can kind of move forward. There might also be grief and sadness and kind of recognizing that life will be different than what it was before. And so giving yourself time to kind of process those things I think can be helpful In addition to seeking out support through other IBD patients, some patients find that really helpful to hear what others are going through, really validate and normalize their experience. But recognizing that what your experience will be like may not be the same as what another patient's experience is going to be like as well. Mm -hmm. Amy, what are some of the ways that IBD has affected your mental health? Yeah, I really appreciate when Dr. Naftali was talking, what kind of stuck out to me was this idea about how you're feeling, right? Um, And I think when I was 10, um, and I was, you know, first diagnosed, or, or at least trying to seek answers to figure out like, what is happening to this body? But I think what we missed was the and how are you feeling otherwise, right? Like, mm-hmm. mentally, emotionally. And I think that that 
is is a key part that I just, I guess, fully didn't realize. I viewed IBD very much as like this gut condition because that's how my PGI like explained it to me, right? She was like, mm-hmm. hey, you have this thing, it's chronic, which means you're going to have it forever. And to a 10-year-old, this idea of forever doesn't really, I don't think, fully stick in your brain. Um, and it didn't for me. I was like, okay, great. So I take meds and I'm going to be fine. I think it wasn't until my first really big flare two years later that I realized like, this is what chronic means. Oh no. And that's really where I think what I can now recognize as like grief um, Mm. kind of came in. Being able to name my emotions is a skill that I'm still working on and learning to do that. And I think that that was like the first part of my mental health journey. I didn't even realize that that was stuff I was feeling until now I look back and I realize, oh my goodness, <laughs> wow. Yes, there was a lot of grief. There was a lot of shame and stigma and there still is sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm South Asian and I love my culture, but I think that as part of that sometimes comes with a lot of extra stigma and shame surrounding health and gen- poor health, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. And I put that in air quotes, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Disability, chronic disease, and then mental health is on like a whole other like, oh, we don't talk about this. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't think my parents purposefully were like, we're not going to ask you how you're feeling. They loved me and they cared so much. I just don't think that they knew like, hey, saying, how are you feeling both physically and emotionally would have really, I think, helped given me that vocabulary earlier to recognize, I guess, my experiences with mental health. Dr. Naftali, there are support groups available for people with IBD. They can be online, they can be in person, but I'm wondering how do you think patients might benefit from joining these support groups? Because I don't think that everyone thinks about going to one, especially when they're first diagnosed. Yeah, I like how you you phrase that. It's important for patients to think about why they want to seek out a support group. Is it mm. for informational purposes? Is it for emotional support? Is it to hear about other patients with IBD and their experiences? And so when thinking about support groups, they can be really helpful and beneficial. And also some patients find them very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And so similar to, I think, with the stigma of coming into therapy and thinking that you're going to need this forever and you're going to be in therapy forever. I think sometimes people have that misconception about support groups too, that once you start going, you have to keep going. It's never something you can stop. And that's really, that's not true. You can use support groups for for what you need. And so if you need to attend a couple of sessions with the support group, and then you're doing well from an IBD perspective, don't necessarily need that support anymore. You don't have to keep going, mm. but that can be helpful with, again, just learning information and also getting to hear other people's experiences with IBD as well. I think that's right. There can be times when patients get together for whatever reason, even just social things, And when you start sharing stories, it can be really overwhelming. We have to be kind of cautious in in this way. I know that on this show, I often ask people to talk about some of probably the worst things that have ever happened to them. And I'm well aware of that and, and try to be respectful of it. And processing all of it can be a lot. Do you have any suggestions if someone feels overwhelmed 
by mm-hmm. a support group in that way, but they still need some kind of peer support? Is there is there mm-hmm. something else out there that they can do? Mm-hmm. I think, again, coming back to what what's the reason for attending the support group. So if you want just general information, maybe it's something where you're reaching out to other IBD advocates and looking at their websites and their information online. Maybe you're reaching mm-hmm. out to the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation and looking at resources there. If it's overwhelming to kind of share your experience, because I think sometimes patients can feel overwhelmed with that. Once you hear other people sharing their experience, it tends to become a little easier. Some of that anxiety about sharing goes down a little bit. Maybe you also need a one-on-one mm-hmm. support versus a group setting. So I know like the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation has that peer-to-peer support. Maybe mm-hmm. you're reaching out to a friend one-on-one versus being in a larger setting. I'm sure Amy and Amber, you both have made really great relationships with other people in these support groups. And there are people that probably reach out to as needed as well. And so it's a, again, it doesn't have to be something you're attending all the time. Mm-hmm. Amy, you're involved in the IBD community in a variety of ways. You're not a stranger to support groups, formal and informal. What do you do when you're in your feelings? Who do you reach out to? I think to echo kind of Dr. Naftali's idea of this, like, why, right? Like, what are you reaching out for? Like, what do you need? This is a very timely podcast, I will say, (laughs) because this week I did, I got a lab test result back and my inflammation is very high. And just last month, my colonoscopy was beautiful and we started weaning off a medication. And unfortunately, things are not going great. I remember seeing that test result come in and I kind of already knew I was, I was already feeling terrible for the past couple of days. And, mm-hmm. and I saw the like the little notification from my health. My dad was with me, we were answering an email or something. Um, but I told him, I was like, Oh, no, the result is in. And then I said, Can you go away for a sec? Actually, I kind of want to be alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like, that surprised him, but he respected it. I saw it. Very high inflammation, not what I was hoping for. And I started crying a little bit. And he kind of came back into the room. He's like, do you want mom? Do you want me? Like, you know, and I'm like a fully grown woman, but also sometimes a girl just needs her parents. Yes. And, and, but I appreciated the reason I'm, I'm sharing this story is because I really appreciated that he asked that question, like, mm-hmm. who do you want? Because I think sometimes the folks that are really close to us, like in our lives, right, you know, and obviously, they do know us really, really well. But that doesn't always mean that they know exactly what we need in every moment. And so I was really lucky in that moment, realizing like, wow, I do have this group of folks that I can go to, one of whom I can go to if I need like an IBD, like person to be like, yes, like, I fully get it, this sucks. Another person who like, she's very much like a planner. If I literally just want a distraction and someone to tell me fun stories, I have a friend for that too. So that's great <laughs> because I think, you know, that social support system is is really enhanced by the fact that I know kind of who I can go to for what type of emotional support, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I forget to articulate exactly what I need, this happened last night, I was just texting a friend about this. And I was like, I'm still feeling terrible. Like I do need to sit and check myself first to see, okay, what do I need in this moment before mm-hmm. I then go and like rely on and use my wonderful support system, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I also want to say too that um, 
knowing what you need is really hard to figure out. It's not something where you just kind of know it automatically. It takes time and practice and trial and error. And so setting boundaries and advocating for yourself is not something that comes overnight either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I going back to my parents story. (laughs) After he said, I was like, Yeah, dad, like, if you guys could just give me a hug afterwards, you know, they were hugging me. But then I just started to feel more sad, like it helped for about a minute. And then I was like, (laughs) I was like, no, like, this hug is too long. Like, (laughs) I was destroying my feelings. And I was like, thanks, guys. I think I want to be alone now. I think I want to watch an episode of Friends. Like, take my mind off of it. You know, and I think that that's, like, also, yeah, even, like, I have been going through this for, like, 13 plus years. And, yes, Dr. Naftali, absolutely. It's very, it is so difficult to, like, name what you need. And I guess, like, going off of what you're saying, I 100% want to say, like, what you need can change literally by the minute. And that's okay too, right? Mm-hmm, but trying mm-hmm. to like, I guess, start that practice of just even trying to assess your needs, even if what you pick is maybe not exactly what you need, at least we're getting in or trying to get into that habit. And that's like a coping mechanism that's uh, challenging, but it's definitely, I think, helped me long-term. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I think we tend to normalize a lot of things. And as IBD patients, maybe we should be seeking care sooner rather than later for the challenges that we're having. So I'm wondering, Dr. Naftali, how can our friends and family look out for us? And what are some of the red flags that if they see us exhibiting those things, that we should probably be encouraged to seek out some more help? Yeah. When it comes to anxiety, depression, We think about when is it time to seek mental health treatment? When is it time to get some other professionals to help is if you're noticing that it's really hard to do the things that you typically do and typically enjoy doing, or it Mm. takes longer to do those things, you find yourself delaying doing those things. Mm. You're anxious about, for example, going out with friends because you're not sure if you're gonna have access to a bathroom and you consistently keep doing that over and over and over again noticing if stress and anxiety about IBD is impacting your relationships, your work, noticing it's becoming harder to cope with the IBD. Those are just some good kind of check-ins that family members can ask about for patients with IBD, but then also patients can ask themselves those questions. I think meeting with a GI psychologist or a mental health professional who has expertise in working with chronic health conditions, especially IBD, can be really helpful to learn some of those coping skills to help when things are a little bit more difficult and um, to use those skills when needed. But we can also meet with patients when they're doing really well, too. It can be a good opportunity to, from an IBD perspective, it can be a good opportunity to learn those skills and when you don't have fires that you're having to put out, like when you're newly diagnosed, for example. From a caregiver perspective, I think it's important for them to also pay attention to what they need as well from their own mental health. We know that caregivers experience fatigue and stress and loneliness, and it's common for them to experience those things. And so seeking out their own mental health care, if needed, can be helpful too. Dr. Naftali, do you have any recommendations for resources that patients can use to address their mental health concerns? 
Yes, there's luckily a lot more than there was a couple of years ago. So lots yes. more, more resources for patients. Um, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation has a fantastic mental health and IBD um, website with a bunch of different resources, videos. Dr. Real contributed to a lot of that and a lot of our other GI site colleagues also did as well. So they have good resources. If you're looking for a mental health provider who has expertise in working with patients with IBD, the Rome Psychogastroenterology Association has a provider directory. You can search by insurance and by location. And so you can find a mental health provider that way. Unfortunately, there's not a ton of us yet, but we're growing. Mm -hmm. We're a growing field. So if you can't find someone in your state or near you through the Rome Foundation's directory, I suggest looking on a website called Psychology Today. On that website, you can search by location, insurance. And then under the, I think it's like at the concerns tab, you can check the box for chronic health conditions. And so although that therapist may or may not have expertise in IBD specifically, they will have some expertise in treating patients with chronic health conditions. So those are kind of the main resources I direct people to. Another good resource if you want to learn some relaxation skills or just diaphragmatic breathing, there's a fantastic video of um, Dr. Real and Dr. Jagelski from Michigan Medicine practicing diaphragmatic breathing. And so that's a really great video to watch on YouTube just to learn some brief relaxation strategies. That video from Dr. Real is on frequent replay in my household. It is wonderful. And I will absolutely put it in the show notes. I'm always sending it out too. So I'm so grateful that she put that together. Amy, same question for you. Do you have any tips or resources for patients that you'd like to share? Absolutely. I think going back to what we were talking about earlier, this idea of support groups has mm -hmm. definitely helped me, you know, as someone who has both attended a support group and now as a support group leader, um, I think that that can be a really wonderful kind of more formalized <laughs> approach to getting support. Um, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation does, you know, let you, if you hop on their website, you're able to kind of search up and see if there's um, a support group um, near you. I know they all also have some virtual support. I personally am a support group uh, leader uh, through Generation Patient, which is for young adults um, with any type of chronic medical condition, um, including IBD. And we actually call it a support network um, because I'd like to think of us more as like a squad of friends <laughs> kind of hanging out um, every other Sunday um, talking to each other. So I guess like in that same vein, for all of our young adults out there, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation does have a wonderful National Council um, of College leaders who post um, Mental Health Monday, little like tips and tricks um, and sharing all about their own IBD journeys. And I think for me, going on the social media profiles and sites that have feature folks just like me who also have IBD has been immensely helpful as a form of mental health support just to realize that I'm not alone. Um, and if you are looking for someone kind of like a one-on-one -on -one mentor or peer and don't know where to look, the foundation also has the Power of Two um, program that I am a mentor for. And that's also been a really fun way to connect with folks. And finally, talking to your GI. I mm -hmm. definitely did not realize that that was something I can slash should bring up till a lot later in life. Um, but definitely, you know, your GI wants to know how you're doing, not just how your gut is doing, if that makes sense. 
So talking about those concerns, my advice definitely too, I'm a person who like has all of these concerns. And then when I go into the 15 minute appointment, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing good. And then that's the end, right? Um, and so at the beginning, bringing up saying, Hey, doc, I want to talk about this. But I also had a few mental health questions for you. So definitely, I would I would appreciate if we could get to that. Um, and they can provide more specific resources in terms of if you're looking for something more clinical. We talked about Dr. Reel's video of her breathing video, which which I just love and I send to people all of the time. But I'm also wondering what you all do for yourselves. So let me start with you, Dr. Naftali. Is there something that you do for yourself that helps you deal with your day-to-day stress? Yes. I love listening to podcasts in addition to out about IBD, but um, <laughs> love, love podcasts, love going on walks. I'm a big um, college basketball and volleyball fan. So when we're in season, I love watching that as well as just playing and shooting some hoops. And through the pandemic, I've gotten interested in paint by numbers. So I've been doing some paint by numbers as well. The mix of creative, mix of exercise, like doing those things. Right. Engaging all the different aspects of your brain, it sounds like, as well as your body. Amy, same question for you. We've talked about quite a few of the things that you do for your mental health. Are there any others that you have go to that help you get through the stress of living with a chronic illness? And then, of course, all of the different roles that you play in your life and in your work. Yeah, one thing I I don't think I've mentioned yet is, I guess, just this idea, like, I know we've talked a little bit about like knowing yourself and your needs. Um, One thing that's helped me kind of conceptualize like, who I am as a person um, is, is sort of this idea actually of like the five love languages, not in the romantic sense, but like in just like a self love language kind of way. And I realized, wow, I am a words of affirmation type of gal. For for sure, 100%. Like if you tell me you have a test on Friday, like I will remember, I will text you Friday morning, say good luck. When I was an RA in college, like I would leave little like sticky notes on the doors of my like residence, like, hi, hope you have a great day. And I do the same thing for my students in their binders now. And so for me, one thing I've like started to explore as well is just this idea of writing, I know snail mail, I don't know if that's in or out at the moment, but I love writing notes and getting things in the mail. And so I've been practicing actually like watching these calming calligraphy videos. And uh, yeah, this is like a new development in my life, but I love it. (laughs) I bought some like markers and some pens and I've just been, and I think for me, just that calming motion, I've actually been practicing trying to sink my breath like to it. Mm. Um, Because for me, like I know meditation is a good idea to try, etc. But my mind wanders and I mm-hmm. need more structure. <laughs> and so if I can listen to like a guided meditation or mm-hmm. a guided, you know, right now I'm trying to fuse my like love for lettering with also like the breathing. And that's actually been like an interesting, fun thing um, for me. And I think bringing joy like to other people makes me so happy. Um, and and likewise, right, because then sometimes I'll get a letter back. And that's mm-hmm. always really fun. And I think partially this is going to sound so silly, but um, I will share it with you all. I as part of the words of affirmation, I think sometimes I, I want to give my future self some affirmations. And mm-hmm. so what I started doing in college, actually, is I would take a bunch of sticky notes and write like nice things to myself and hide them around my room and in my textbooks and, you know, all over. Um, and so then 
it's like a random act of kindness for my future self when I open like a drawer, a drawer and like I'm pulling out a sock and then I see this little note. I'm like, oh, thanks, passed me. And so anyway, it sounds silly, but I think that that's like a way that I exercise my like words of affirmation love language, both to other people, but also to myself, um, which I think just it's a, it's a fun little surprise to get in the middle of the day. And I also keep a bunch in my like, medicine um, cabinet, I keep one by my injection medication, like in the fridge, I'll slip a little note to myself. That way, it's like, woo, go you, you, you did the injection today, which is always I think like a fun little pick me up. Mm-hmm. I love postcards. Everywhere I go, I have way too many postcards. I send them out all of the time, sometimes after a long day or a hard day. I love the idea that you are bringing breath work into it. That's something that never occurred to me. I'm also a poor meditator, if that's what we want to call it. Amy, when we are finished here and offline, I'm going to get your address so that we can be (laughs) postcard buddies because it is so fun for me. And I have quite a collection of postcards from everywhere I go. I I need to be stopped at this point from purchasing (laughs) any more postcards. I really don't. I, I will probably never live long enough to send all of the ones that I have. Thank you both for coming on About IBD to discuss the psychosocial impacts of IBD. And I'm going to put so many things in the show notes. And I really appreciate everything that you do in the community. Dr. Naftali, Amy, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us. Hey, super listener. Thanks to Dr. Jessica Naftali for sharing the tools and resources IBD patients can use to address their mental health needs. GI Psych is a growing field, and I know its future is in good hands. She shares more great information via her Twitter account, which is at Dr. Naftali. Thank you also to Amy Bugwadia, who does so much for the IBD community with grace, humility, and good humor, despite the many challenges this disease throws her way. You can connect with her via Generation Patient or on Instagram as Miss Amy B. Links to a written transcript, everyone's social media handles, and more information on the topics we discussed is in the show notes and on my episode 116 page on aboutibd.com. As always, you can follow me, Amber Tresca, across all social media as About IBD. Thanks for listening. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD. The American Gastroenterological Association and About IBD, How to Be Happy and Healthy with IBD podcast series is supported by Arena Pharmaceuticals. About IBD is a production of Malintel Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by me, Amber Tresca. Mix and sound design is by Mac Cooney. Theme music is from Cooney Studio. Thank you.